Hello, and this is Desiree with your weekly microdose of hypnosis. This week, I'm going to read you a story. And stories are actually an ancient form of hypnosis. Our minds take the themes, archetypes, and metaphors from stories and automatically make personal meaning of them. So today, I'm going to read you a story, and I invite you to just listen passively as your subconscious mind finds the ways to apply the themes within to you and your life. As usual, this is a voice note for your subconscious mind, so please only listen to this when you're able to allow yourself the time and space to be completely relaxed for just a few minutes of your day. And with that, you may close your eyes and allow your mind and thoughts to relax a little as you just listen. You don't have to imagine. You don't have to do a thing. As your subconscious mind does its own thing with the information it receives, as it's been doing since the earliest days of your life. You've been told stories since you were a baby for a reason, and that hasn't stopped as you grew. You read, watch TV, and movies as an adult because storytelling does something for you on a very deep level. Stories, myths, fables, are how we learn character, morals, values. As a species, we are made by stories, and we are changed by stories. Today, I'm going to read you a short story from the book Kitchen Table Wisdom, Stories That Heal, by Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen. In her introduction to the book, she says, Hidden in all stories is the one story. The more we listen, the clearer that story becomes. Our true identity, who we are, why we're here, what sustains us, is in this story. The stories are about the same things. Stories of owning, having and losing. Stories of power, of pain, of wounding, of courage, hope and healing. Of loneliness and the end of loneliness. In telling them, we're telling the human story. Stories that touch us in this place of common humanness awaken us and weave us together as family once again. Before I read the story, I'm going to set the stage for you, because this story takes place at a spot that changed my life. About 10 years ago, for my 30th birthday, I took a trip to Esalen, which is a kind of hippie retreat on the central coast of California. I went there to study natural perfumery. And in my first night there, I realized that as a New Yorker and a city dweller, I never looked up. In New York, there's really no reason to look up unless you want to see a crowded sky. My neck only bent backwards in yoga class. But in my first night at Esalen, with my head tilted back, I lost myself in the sky. I laid on a lounge chair situated at the edge of a cliff, overlooking the Pacific Ocean for hours as the moon moved from one side of the sky to the other, and I made wishes on countless shooting stars, with the symphonic sound of crashing waves directly below me. The air had the scent of ozone, herbs, the earthiness of the neighboring redwoods, and sulfur from the hot springs on the property. That's where this story takes place. This story is called End Beginnings. I was 35 years old before I understood that there is no ending without a beginning. 
that beginnings and endings are always right up against each other. Nothing ever ends without something else beginning, or begins without something else ending. Perhaps this would be easier to remember if we had a word for it, something like end-begin or begin-end. For a long time, I never noticed the beginnings. That was one of the first things that changed for me when I entered the Institute for the Study of Humanistic Medicine, the Miller's Research Program at Esalen. At the time, I was just learning how to make jewelry, and I had cast a silver ring. The design was the head of a woman whose long hair, entangled with stars, wound around your finger and formed the ring shank. Technically, it had been difficult to make, and I was proud of the design. I finished it in time to wear to one of the first weekend sessions at Esalen. The ring attracted a great deal of admiration and attention. At that time, many craftsmen were in residence at Esalen, and several suggested that I drive back up the coast a few miles and show it to a jeweler at a gallery we had passed next to the road. It was about to rain, but I made the trip anyway, and I had a wonderful afternoon. The jeweler, a gentle man and gifted artist, had offered me tea, and we spent an hour or so talking about beauty and the ways in which art reminds people of the soul. Heady conversation for a young academic physician. In the end, I left my ring with him so that he could recast it and sell it to others. I drove back down Route 1 with difficulty. Some serious rain had begun, and the wind was strong enough to push my car a little bit on the road. During the night, a wild and violent storm, the last of a long series of winter storms, hit the coast. At breakfast, without electricity and heat, I was shocked to hear that we were isolated. A stretch of Route 1 north of Esalen had fallen into the ocean. We would have to drive many miles south and go inland in order to go north and get back to San Francisco. The gallery, where I had left my ring, had stood next to the stretch of road that had washed into the Pacific. The building was gone, and my ring with it. Through my numbness, I could hear several inner voices commenting on my loss. The loudest was my father's, saying, This never would have happened if you hadn't allowed a total stranger to exploit you and make a profit from your design. How stupid can you be? And you're a doctor? And my mother... You're so careless. You can never be trusted with anything valuable. You always forget things and lose things. Mixed in was the voice of a very young part of myself that kept looking at the place on my hand where the ring had been yesterday and saying, Where is it? It was right here. In anguish, I went to the edge of the cliffs and stood looking at the Pacific, still wild from yesterday's storm. Down there, somewhere, was my ring. As I watched the ocean hammer the cliffs, it began to occur to me that there was something rather natural, even inevitable, about what had happened. Pieces of the land had been falling into the ocean for millions of years. Perhaps all those familiar blaming voices were wrong. There was nothing at all personal in it, just some larger process at work. I looked at the place on my finger again. This time it really was an empty space. And silent. It was big. For the first time, I faced loss with a sense of curiosity. What would come fill up this space? Would I make another ring? Or would I find another ring in a secondhand shop or even in another country? Perhaps someday someone I had not even met yet would give me a ring because he loved me. I was 35 years old and I had never trusted life before. 
I had never allowed any empty spaces. Like my family, I had believed that empty spaces remained empty. Life had been about hanging on to what you had, and medical training had only reinforced the avoidance of loss at all costs. Anything I had ever let go of had claw marks on it. Yet this empty space had become different. It held all the excitement and anticipation of a wrapped Christmas present. The end. End the beginning. So with that, you may come back to now, open up your eyes, and go enjoy the beauty that is life with all its endings and beginnings. Have a wonderful week.